Amen, amen, and good morning to you, church family. Great to see you here today. If you are a guest with us, uh, my name is Ryan. I get to serve as one of our pastors here at the church, and it's a privilege uh, to hear stories like that week in and week out of just God stirring in our hearts as we think about worship this year in 2024. So uh, you're going to need a copy of God's Word today. Be in Luke chapter 7 is where we're going to be. I will take a brief pit stop in uh, Matthew 22 before we get there, but go ahead and grab your Bibles, make your way to Luke Seven, and uh, we'll settle in there in just a minute. So uh, April read that passage for us from Deuteronomy 6. This is where we've kind of launched out our year on worship, looking at this love the Lord your God, for He's one, and love Him with all of your heart, soul, and might. And uh, over the last three weeks, we've looked at this Lord, this God that is one. We looked at uh, the Trinity, unpacked that over the last few weeks. And now today's kind of like a, a hinge, a turn, where we move from um, just not knowing who our God is, but to worship Him rightly. And we look at loving our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul and might. So we're just going to focus in on heart today. That's where Luke chapter 7 is going to take us. And then next week we'll see soul. The week after that will be might. So excited about where we're going as we continue to think about worshiping the Lord with all that we have. Now, before we read Luke 7, I mentioned I wanted to, to stop briefly at Matthew 22. And the reason why is because uh, there's a moment in the life of Christ where this lawyer comes to him, and he's trying to figure out like, how to wrap his mind around basically worshiping God, how to please God. And so he asks Jesus this question as he thinks about how to, how to worship and please God. He says, what is the greatest commandment? That's what he asked Jesus. Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? So I can kind of like build my life on that foundation. And Jesus quotes Deuteronomy 6. It's to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your might. Jesus points back to that and says, this is the greatest game. This is what you build your life on. This is how you worship. You love the Lord. And the most important command is to love. Now, we would say, no, 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 Jesus. Love is not, it can't be a command because love is like, it's a feeling. It's an emotion. And Jesus says, no, it's a command that you would love me. And the reason why we are commanded to do this is because loving God is foundational to everything else in our life. We tend to think about commands as the thou shalt not. And that might have been what that guy was looking for in Matthew 22. God, give me the thou shalt not. And Jesus is like, no, 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 no. Thou shalt not are important, but the foundation is your heart. The command is that you would love. And if you love, then you will keep those thou shalt nots because you love the Lord with all of your heart. And so what we're going to unpack today is that, that heart connection to God, that holy affection that we would have for God. And that's going to lead us to Luke 7. Because Luke 7 is a, it's a passage where you're going to see two people that have a chance to worship Christ and two vastly different responses of what's going on in their heart. So you follow along with me as I read Luke 7, verse 36 and following. This is what it says. One of the Pharisees asked him, that's Jesus, asked Jesus to eat with him. And Jesus went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. And behold, a woman of the city, who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, 
brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, wiped them with the hair of her head, and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus, answering, said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he said, Say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other one 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which one of them will love him more? Simon answered, The one, I suppose, from whom the cancel of the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning to the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house, and you gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I have come in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Pray with me this morning. Lord, as we look into what it means to worship you with all of our hearts, we confess that we need your help. Some of our hearts are are broken and fragmented, and we just need your, your comfort and your healing. And so we come to you with our broken hearts and our fragmented hearts, and we worship you with all of that. And Lord, for others of us in this room and online, we have a heavy heart. And so this morning we bring our heavy heart to you and we ask that you would carry our burdens. Lord, you also say that there are others of us in this room who have a heart of stone and we desperately need a new heart. And so Lord, we come to you with our heart of stone asking that you would save us. God, that you would give us that heart of flesh, that we would worship you with all of it. Lord, you know the, the depth of every single one of our hearts, and we ask that wherever we are uh, in, our, in our journey, the Lord, that you would help us to bring all of us to all of you in worship. And let me invite you to, to pause now and to pray and ask that God would stir your heart, that he would help maybe mend your broken heart or lift a heavy burden or even remove that heart of stone. Would you just pray that God would do that through hearing your word and responding this morning? Pray and ask him now. Would you also lift up me in prayer as we look at one of the most important words of Christ, um, as we look at loving God with everything that we have, starting with our hearts. Would you just pray that I would be able to communicate in a way that, 
that serves the Lord and serves you well this morning. Pray for me. Lord, help us to worship you with all of our heart, soul, and might now. It's to your name we pray. Amen. Well, for years, at least in the American church culture, uh, there's been something called worship wars, where uh, there's been a lot of ink spilled writing about it. There's been a lot of conversation. There's been a lot of fights where people will worship, worship, uh, have worship wars over things like the style of music or the song selection or things like that, and they'll fight and, and be divided over that. Now, what's interesting is we spend a lot of time thinking about that or writing upon that, but there's been far too little said about the worship wars that are going on inside of our hearts. And they're far more significant. And this passage is going to show us a worship war that's going on in the heart of, of kind of two people. Simon and this woman, who we don't even know her name, it just says that she's a woman of the city. And what I want to do with the, the time that we have is I want to dive into looking at each one of their, their hearts and what they do in these, these times. And what I believe that we'll see are two things from this passage that will squelch a heart of worship and two things that will fuel a heart of worship. So first, let's look at two ways to squelch a heart from worship. We find these two things within the life of Simon. Now, Simon is called a Pharisee, and he's invited Jesus to come into his house. And Jesus comes there, and this is unique because Pharisees were rich religious leaders at that time, and so they memorized the Bible, they knew a lot about the Bible, and they rejected Jesus. They rejected the forgiveness that Jesus was offering, the abundant life that he was going to bring. And they held on to their, their riches and their religion, rejecting Christ. And so because of that, Jesus came down some of the harshest on these religious leaders. Like, you guys of all people should know better. Like, you've read the Bible. You've, you've seen the Word of God. Like, your, your eyes should be open to these things, and their hearts were stone. They were hard-hearted. And Jesus is invited by this man to come to his house, which means that, at least in a sense, that there's a, there's a turmoil, there's a worship war going on in his heart because he knows these truths, and he's interested, at least, a little bit, about who Christ is and what he has to say. And so he invites Jesus to his house, and Jesus takes him up on that invitation. And yet, as he comes there, the interest that he has is squelched quickly from worshiping Jesus because he has pride within his heart. You see, this woman is going to come in uh, to the dinner and does some seemingly like weird, odd things. I'll explain more in, in a minute, but for now, it's just like, it's weird. It's a weird scenario. It's a weird moment in the life of Christ. And Simon's heart response to what happens shows us the pride that is within his heart that snuffs out worship. You see, what Simon does is he sees this woman as he starts to think to himself, starts to reason in his heart and have a conversation with himself. And it's interesting because it says in verse 39 that he said to himself, look back there. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, he's thinking it, it's within his heart, there's a war going on. And he says, if this man were a prophet, 
he would know whom and what sort of woman this is that's touching him, for she is a sinner. Now this shows in one sentence the pride that is deep within his soul. You see, there's self-righteousness that's there. He's, he's looking and he's evaluating this woman who he's seen in the city, and he's like, man, I am better than her. She is a sinner. She shouldn't be even touching Jesus. And so he builds himself up with pride, judging her and his self-righteousness. But it doesn't just stop with him looking at her with, with judgment and pride. He looks at Jesus. Did you catch that? <laughs> he... He thinks he's better than Jesus because he knows more than Jesus does. If this man were a prophet, man, he would know this stuff. He would know what I know, but he doesn't. So I'm better than him because I know more than him, and I'm better morally than her. All of this pride is blinding his, his eyes and his heart from coming to worship Jesus with all of his heart. Now, I... I love the kind of the beauty of what Jesus does. You see in verse 40, something really specific. It says, and Jesus answering said to him. Jesus answering, nobody asked the question. (laughs) Nobody said anything out loud. This man has thought these things within his heart, and Jesus sees his heart and addresses it. He answers the questions of his heart. He's like, man, you, don't, you think I don't know? I know who she is. And Simon, I know who you are. And I know the depths of your heart. I know what you're thinking about. And Jesus addresses and answers his heart. And he answers it by telling a parable. He says there's, there's two people who owe money. One person owes 500 denarii, which would be a little more than a year's wage. And then another person owes 50 denarii, so about a month's wage. And they could not pay their debt. And so a man canceled their debt. And then Jesus, as he tells the story, he looks back at Simon and he says, who would have a greater love for the one who forgave debt? And Simon said, well, I guess, I guess the person who had been forgiven more debt. And Jesus says, you're right. You're right. You're so close to understanding the bigger picture, but you're right about this. Now, what some have have kind of falsely read into this is that as Jesus told this parable, what Jesus is ultimately saying is that this woman needed salvation more than Simon. (laughs) Because what Jesus is doing is he's putting himself in the parable. He's the one who is God. He's the, the lender. And there's two people that are indebted. This woman is seen as one is like the 500 denarii. She's broken a lot of laws. She's got a lot of debt to God, right, for the things she's done wrong. But Simon's more the good person, only like 50 denarii, like a month's worth of wages of debt, right? And so she certainly needs more salvation. But that's the wrong view here. And that's a view of pride, Look at verse 42. They could not pay the debt. Don't miss it. They could not pay the debt. They both were in the same boat. 
neither could pay their debt. It could have been one owes five denarii, one owes five billion denarii, and it wouldn't change the story. Both of them cannot pay their debt. And Jesus is looking at the situation saying, both of these people, it's not that one needs more salvation than the other. No, they both need salvation. Legally, they're in the exact same position. And Jesus, in his genius, thrusts this illustration showing us that, yeah, though one debt seems to be greater, both are sinners in need of salvation. Now, here's the problem. If we are full of pride, If we're full of pride, we will think, well, my debt is so small. I'm a good person, and that self-righteousness will come up like, Jesus doesn't really need to, like, like, give me a whole new heart. He just needs to kind of clean me up a little bit. Jesus is not taking, like, bad people and making them a little bit better. He's taking dead people, and he's bringing them to life. That's what Jesus is offering. That's what Jesus is saying. And we will miss worshiping God with all of our heart if we think, well, I don't really need him that much. I just need him like a little sprinkling of grace in my life and I'm good. No, we are all in the same boat. We have a debt that we can't pay. For the wages of our sin is death, both spiritually and ultimately physically. And Christ came to die on the cross to pay that debt for us, spiritually and physically. That's why it matters. The smallest of sins, our respectable sins in our life, Jesus died for. Let us remove the comparison blinders of pride from our hearts, and we'll realize that all the debt that we have was paid with Christ on the cross. If we don't see that, if we don't know that, no matter how small you think your debt is or how great your debt is, If you don't see that Christ paid for them all, then you will never have a heart of worship. You will sit in a heart of pride far from the Lord. Which that's kind of the second thing that leads from Simon not worshiping Christ. And it's distance. There's a gap. Now notice there's not distance physically. Like he can can reach out and touch Jesus. Jesus is in the same room that he's in. He's he's right there, and yet his heart is so far from Jesus. It's so far, there's a distance there between them. And the same can be true in here. Like you you can be in this room, you can be online watching and hear the Word of God. You can be around people who love and follow God and yet be completely distant from Him. To keep Him at arm's length. And you see that Simon keeps Him at arm's length because of the way he treats him. You see, Jesus, in, in verse 44, calls Simon out on how he's been treated. Because he's been treated in a detached way, in a kind of distance way. And he's like, Simon, I, I've come into your house and you didn't give me water to drink. You didn't give me uh, anything to wash my feet. Or you didn't, you didn't greet me like a friend with a, with a hug. You didn't do any of that. You kept me at arm's length and you're like, I'm kind of interested but, like, just kind of come on in. I don't want people to think we're, like, too close. We're too good friends. Like, and so just kind of come in and sit down. He's keeping his distance. And yet, I could imagine as Jesus says this to Simon, he, could, he would respond maybe in his mind or in his heart saying, what are you talking about, Jesus? Are you kidding me? Like, I've, in, I've invited you in my house. You're in my house, aren't you? 
What do you want of, uh, from me? You know, do you want me to, 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 to respond to you just like this lady is? Like, we've had nice conversations. Jesus, I don't, I don't think you really mean that you expect me to embrace you and receive you in the same way like this woman has passion. And Jesus is like, yeah, that's exactly what I expect of you, that you would love me, not keep me at a distance, not know about me, but not know me, not be detached from me, but that you would love me, yes, that your whole self would be there, that Christ would be the center of your life. You see, he... Simon might be checking in with Jesus intellectually, but his heart is completely absent. And because his heart is absent, he is missing worship. Now, you can choose this morning. You can choose your pride and keep Christ at a distance. But I'm just telling you, if you choose that, then you will never find forgiveness. You'll never find eternal life. You'll never find abundant life here and now. You'll never find it. You can hold on to your pride, but you cannot have Christ at the same time. You can't. You will spend your life worshiping things that will fail you and forsake you. And you know what? That is the, the definition that the, of the, from the Bible of evil. That we would give our hearts living for other things that fail us and forsake us. The Bible says that is evil. That's what's wrong. You think what this lady has done is wrong? It is. He says her sins are many. But it comes down to the heart. And the way I know that's how the Bible describes it is because Jeremiah chapter 2 tells us that. God speaking to the prophet Jeremiah says, My people have committed two great evils. Evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. That's the, the water that's satisfied. That's the everlasting waters. That's what living waters are. They never run out. They're always there. They're pure. You can drink it. It satisfies you, right? God says, that's who I am. And you've forsaken me. That's the first evil. The second evil is this. You have hewn for yourself broken cisterns. A cistern is a pot in which you would hold water in. And people are trying to live their lives worshiping their, their job or a romantic relationship or, or money or family above God. And, and, and God's like, no, 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 no. I'm living waters. All those are just broken cisterns that leak out the side so your soul is never satisfied. Your soul is never satisfied. He said, these are two evils. And this is what Jesus is addressing at this time. He's, 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 he's encouraging them to look to him who will satisfy. Look to him who can forgive debts. Look to him, the fountain of living water flowing out into your life of worship. If you know him and love him. Now, pride and distance will keep us from worshiping God, but let's get to some, some hopeful, practical application too, right? There are two ways that can fuel a heart of worship from this passage. And both are found in the life of this woman, this woman of the city, who was a sinner. Now, in verse 37, when she's given that title, woman of the city who was a sinner, this means at best, at best, this lady was a prostitute. At best. And when she hears that Christ is going to have a meal at this man's house, 
humility fills her heart, and so she comes to pour out worship at the feet of Christ. There is humility there. She doesn't have pride like Simon does. No, there is not a shred of pride within her heart. And Christ is there reclining at the table, verse 37 tells us. And that doesn't mean he's sitting at a lazy boy recliner, right? It means he's like laying on his side, one, one elbow's on the ground, and his feet are down the other direction. And Jesus comes up, or this woman comes up behind Jesus, and she does all these things that would express humility. It says that she literally, she, she comes up behind him and she gets down at his feet and she's weeping. She's crying. And then she's taking her hair down and she's wiping the feet of Jesus with her hair. She takes this ointment, she pours it on the dirty, dusty, feces-covered feet of Christ from walking the paths of Jerusalem. And she, she doesn't care what other people think because her heart's being poured out in worship to the Lord. See, what pride does, pride cares more about what other people think of us. Humility cares more about what God thinks of us. And she's like, I know people are talking, I know this seems odd, but I'm doing this because I love him. I want to pour out my life for him. So the humility just fans the flame of worship in her heart. And some people are looking around, they're like, whoa, 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 like, temper this a little bit. Like, calm it down. You're like, you're too over the top. But Jesus is like, no. Jesus actually says in other of the Gospels that this woman's story will be told throughout an entire world, wherever the Gospel is shared. Jesus isn't trying to hide this woman. He's like, no, 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 no. This is a woman who is worshiping. Oh, look at her example. Look at her humility. Now, I know some of us specifically us men, we can hear like worshiping God with all of our heart and being an emotional praise like this, and we can think, man, that's just not me. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm, the, I'm the tough guy, okay? So I just don't, I don't respond in, in ways like that. It's just, I'm not, I'm not wired like that. I'm just the tough guy. So I'm not going to sing. I'm not going to respond. That's not me. Okay? Tough guy. Just think about this for a minute. Let's, we can do it by a show of hands if we want to. There's a, a man named David in the Bible, and, and he was a tough guy. I mean, he, he literally, he, he killed lions and bears with a staff and a sling. So, tough, tough guys in the room, raise your hand. How many of you have killed a bear with a, with a stick in your hand? Okay, anybody? Okay, nobody, okay. As a teenager, anybody in the room taking down a giant with a massive army behind him with nothing but a rock and a sling in your hand? Anybody? Okay. No, there wasn't anybody in the first service either, just to be clear. This is, this is David, okay? And David wrote some of the most beautiful songs to God that we sing on Sunday mornings that we find in the book of Psalms. He was not a weak, frail, fragile little man of like, oh, I just love Jesus. No, he was a strong man who believed in God and lived his life for him and poured out his heart before him. And if that's not good enough, let's go to the New Testament. There's this man named Paul who before Christ saved him, was basically a terrorist. He would go out and arrest people, prove to people being murdered, throw them in prison. Christ grips his heart, changes him, and he starts to worship God. This man went through shipwrecks and beatings and bruisings and thrown in prison. He did all of these things. This was not a weak, frail, fragile old man. No, he was tough. 
And both of these men would write things saying this about the Lord. One of them said, in, in the presence of the Lord, there is fullness of joy. Joy that comes from the heart. Because of your love, it's better than life. My lips will praise you. He's going to sing to the Lord because of the Lord's love. As a deer pants for water, so my soul pants for you. There is nothing, nothing that can separate me from the love of God. These were tough men who praised and worshipped the Lord with all of their heart. With all of their heart. Some of you are still saying, I'm just not wired to do that. Like, I'm just not wired to do that. Imagine if you live with that mentality in your marriage, though. If you were a married man, you could think specifically about it. If you're a single person, just imagine this with me, okay? If you're like, okay, I'll marry you, but like, don't expect me to like, you know, like tell you I love you, or like hold your hand, hug you. Like, I'm not going to do that. I'm a tough guy, okay? So I'm going to mow the lawn. I'm going to take care of the cars. I'll pay the bills. You know, like I'll do all those things, but like, don't ask me to like express emotion to you. Let me just say, if that's you, your marriage is probably not the healthiest, okay? You're probably on the rocks a little bit. It doesn't work that way. And yet, sadly, that's what we do when we come to the Lord sometimes. We're just like, okay, God, like, I'll give you my duty. Like, I'll, I'll attend every so often. Like, I'll be around some people that say they love you, but, like, I, I don't expect me to, like, give you my heart where I'm supposed to, like, sing to you. I'm supposed to actually, like, spend time throughout the week, like, listening to your word. Like, no, 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 no. Like, I, I, I'm not going to do that. And just like in a marriage, if you respond to Christ in that way, you're not going to have a healthy relationship with him. You're not. This is a call for us to love God with all of our hearts. Now, some of you still might be saying, well, Ryan, I just can't feel emotions like this. I know this is a command that we love God in this way, but like, I can't work up this unction within me to respond in this way. And the good news is this. God already knew that. <laughs> God already knew that he was going to give this command, and apart from him, there was no way for you to keep it. So that command to love God with all of your heart, that's given in Deuteronomy 6. You fast forward a few chapters, you get to Deuteronomy 30, God says, hey, your heart's broken. There's something off there, and you can't love me with all of your heart. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to fix it. I'm going to fix your heart. And in Deuteronomy 30, verse 6, he says this. He's going to fix our hearts so that you will love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul, that you may live. So God says, love me with all of your heart. And we say, I can't do that. And God says, I know. Okay? So this is what we're going to do. I'm going to fix that. I'm going to fix your heart so now you can love me with all of your heart. That's why the Bible says we love because God first loved us. God loves us and fixes our hearts so that we can in return love him. So if you're saying, I'm not wired this way, I can't do this, God already knew. But God makes a promise that he will correct your heart. He will change your heart. He will fix your heart so that you can worship him with all of your heart. And the second thing we see in the life of this lady that fuels worship is sacrifice. Sacrifice. Verse 37 says that she brings this alabaster flask of ointment. 
Now, this, this communicates two things specifically for this lady, okay? First thing is it, it expresses her, her livelihood, but it also expresses her lifestyle. Let me tell you what I mean with that. We'll start with lifestyle. So, a flask is something that prostitutes in the city would wear as a, a necklace. It was just a part of her cosmetic, right? That would be alluring that smell to kind of draw the people of the city in. And she would have that around her neck. And so when she comes in and takes this off and breaks this and pours it on the feet of Christ, what she's communicating with that is I'm leaving my old lifestyle behind. All these things I'm leaving behind. This used to define me. This used to be something that's so important to me. But no, I'm going to break it. I'm going to pour it out. Because Lord, you are worthy of all of me. All of my life. I'm going to leave it at your feet. That's what she's doing as she breaks this. And for many of us, it's, it's something different. Something different need to bring and place at the, the feet of Christ. But we all have that like alabaster flask that we have in our lives, things that we hold on to that Christ like, no, give me all of you, your lifestyle, the very thing, whether that be your, your work or a relationship, whatever that is, bring that before me. And I get that sounds scary. That's what April was talking about in the video this morning. Like, that's a scary thing to say, I want to worship you with everything. Because part of us wants to hold things back and control things. But she's like, no, I don't, I don't know what all this entails, but I'm giving you all of it, Christ giving you all of my heart. And this sacrifice just fans the flame of worship within her soul. But it doesn't just talk about her lifestyle. It doesn't just mean she sacrifices her lifestyle to the Lord, but her livelihood. This would have been worth a lot of money. In Mark chapter 14, it tells her this story as well. When she goes and she breaks this, this uh, vial and pours it on the feet of Jesus, some of the people in the room start judging her. And they're looking at her, and, and they say, man, that could have been sold for 300 denarii. They're looking at her saying, no, 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 don't waste that money on Jesus. No, take that money and go spend it on something else. And this is getting it to the heart of the issue. She's like, no, no, Jesus is worth more than anything else. My, my heart is worshiping him by pouring out even my deepest finances for him. The richest thing I have, I'm giving to Christ. And this is proving the point that Christ had said back in Matthew chapter 6 on his Sermon on the Mount. He said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. There your heart will be also. And this woman, if you looked at her life, you would know where her heart is. You would know where her heart is. It's there at the feet of Christ. If, if somebody could look at your bank account, where would they say your heart is? Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. There's another story in the Bible where Jesus' disciples are there at the temple, and people are bringing in their offerings. And Jesus, once again, looking at the heart and seeing worship. And this lady comes up and drops two copper coins in the, the giving box. And Jesus says that that woman has given far more than any of these other people, because she gave out of her poverty, and they gave out of their abundance. And Jesus is looking at the heart, and he sees worship there because her heart is with the Lord. And in a, in a great way, this last week here at, at West Cabarrus Church, somebody, one of the kids here, filled out their, their giving envelope, put their name on there and info, and inside that envelope, uh, as our accountant opened it up this week, this is what we saw. 
Chuck E. Cheese coin, okay? Now, this is awesome that they would be intentional to, I'm going to give something. They don't have, this is the, the pinnacle of silver and gold, have I none, but what I have I give to the Lord, right? Like, this to a kid is a, it's a, it's a, it's a round on a video game. It's a chance to win tickets to get something that they would want. And they, in turn, said, I want to give to the Lord. And so, yeah, I think God would look at the heart of that child and say, yeah, that's, that's worship. That's worship because he's sacrificing to me. And so this is worship to the Lord. God is looking at our hearts, and we, we should give it all to him, all to him. And so challenge you to examine your wealth because your wealth will show you where your heart is. But elsewhere, Jesus also says your words. Examine your words because your words will show you where your heart is. They will. Jesus said, from the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. What do you talk about? What, what are you using your words to talk about? That will show you what you love the most. Examine your heart. The Bible says the heart is deceitful above all things. And so we can deceive ourselves and justify how we live our lives, but if we would just pause and examine for, for a week, for a day, our words and our wealth, it'll show us whether our heart is worshiping the Lord or not. And this is not meant to, to guilt you. I'm not trying to guilt you into giving or guilt you into doing these things. No. Guilt will have you give for a season. But worship and a love for the Lord will, will make you a generous person for your entire life and into eternity. No, this is a call for you to examine your heart and to love God with all of it. To love God with all of it. Now, as we, as we close this morning with Luke 7, I want to point back to what all of this is, is about. It's a, it's a heart of worship. It's about worship. And the definition of worship that you're going to hear in the days ahead here at West Cabarrus Church is this. You'll see it on the screen. That worship is our response to God for who He is and what He has done. Worship is our response to God for who He is and what He has done. And there are two main people in the story of Luke 7. Simon and this woman. The woman worshipped Jesus because she knew who He was. She knew what He had done for her. Simon completely misses worshipping Christ because he was filled with pride and distance. And let's just be honest, coming into this room this morning, that posture of one of those two are within us. And what, what posture is your heart taking this morning? One of humility for who God is and what He has done for you, which leads to worship? Or is it pride that thinks I can do this without Christ? Which posture does your heart take today? Bow your heads with me. Maybe you're here today and you have, have never worshipped. <laughs> because until now, you've never understood why you should worship Jesus. But right now, you feel like, like Jesus is looking you face to face just like he did this woman. And you need to know that Jesus is willing to forgive you just like he did this woman for her sins were 
many. Right now, if you're ready to receive that forgiveness, then I want to ask you to do two things. I want to ask you to pray and confess your sins before the Lord. That he would replace that old heart for the new heart. That you would love what he loves. That you would love him. Would you pray? And as you confess those sins, also confess his great grace for you. That he loves you. That he's willing to forgive you. Pray that to the Lord now. Even through this last song, you can kneel at your chair. You can sit down and bow your head. You could pray to the Lord that he would stir your heart to worship him by saving you. And the second thing I would ask is, if you do pray that prayer, though it is personal between you and Christ, it is not meant to be private. And so after service, head to Next Steps, talk to one of the volunteers back there so that they can encourage you, support you as you follow Christ in this decision. And for the rest of us, may we be so bold to examine our wealth and our words on how we are loving and what we're loving. And God, as we see areas that we have failed and faltered, God, would you forgive us, stir our hearts to to praise and worship you in every single area of our lives. For Lord, you are worthy of it. And so Lord, stir our hearts now to worship you and praise. Stir our lives this week to worship you with everything that we have to the glory of your great name, we ask. Amen. Church, let's stand now and let's sing to the one who is worthy of all praise.